0: before we get into today's episode of the 1099 podcast with mma fighting senior editor and serious xm host luke thomas just a quick note we did pre-record this just around two weeks ago and the majority of the conversation is evergreen we talked about what it's like being in mma media and covering the ufc for a living which is an insane organization and insane sport uh some topics did come up that were about upcoming fights and one of those was the fight between Habib Nurmagomedov and Tony Ferguson, which at the time was scheduled as a lightweight title fight. It just briefly came up a couple of times. Uh, since then, boy, a lot of stuff has happened. Uh, that fight has been canceled. It was replaced by Max Holloway and Habib Nurmagomedov, and that fight got canceled. And then it might be Anthony Pettis stepping in, and that didn't happen. It ended up being Al Quinta fighting. Habib Nurmagomedov for the title, which Habib won that fight and is now the champion. So that did come up. So if you hear that, like, wait a minute, what are these people talking about? Do they live under a rock? No, this was just pre-recorded before. We don't we don't dwell on that too much. We don't talk about the insane Conor incident because, again, that had not happened when we had recorded this. But 95% of this conversation is still entirely valid, not about upcoming fights that fell through because someone blew a knee or anything like that. Next week. We have the one and only John Binyaki talking about his wedding, talking about his the insane cruise they went on with uh, Adam Boys and um, Dave Lang, and talking about kind of the process of leaving Infinity, what he's doing now, the way he plays games as a designer. Um, really great conversation. I had a blast with that one. Similarly, there's going to be a podcast with Ben Pack the week after that, Giant Bomb's Ben Pack about what it was like transitioning to Giant Bomb, not being an intern anymore, having that, hey, you're a full-time staff member tag attached to you. Uh, That will be going up the week after that. Uh, New podcast will be recorded soon. Again, I will be starting my drive in about three weeks. I hope to have a few more podcasts in the bank ready to go so that we do not miss a week. Um, If you are enjoying the show and all the episodes lately, please drop a review drop a long, amazing review detailing why you like the show on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. That stuff really helps me out. It really increases visibility, and that's the goal, right? Getting people to find the podcast, listen to the podcast, enjoy the podcast, talk about the podcast, because that's fun. I, I love doing this, and uh, I would do it no matter what, but it's always more fun when you have a big audience, and um, it's, it's, been, it's been fun to see the show grow. We'd love to see it continue to grow this year. Uh, okay, no more delaying. Uh, I really hope you enjoyed today's episode with the great Luke Thomas. Well, hello and welcome to episode 143 of the 1099 for the week of April 9th, 2018. I'm your host, Josiah Renaudin, and with me today is the host of The Luke Thomas Show on XM Rush 93, a senior editor at MMAfighting.com, one of the best technical analysts in MMA media, and someone who's absolutely larger than Nate Diaz. Luke Thomas, Luke, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. No, absolutely. And I joke about the Nate Diaz thing because uh, Dana White, president of the USC, somewhat famously claimed that you... Probably one of the biggest members of the MMA media who I know, and I mean that in a positive way, were smaller than natural lightweight fighter Nate Diaz, and I, I talked about this topic with Ben Folks, Chad Dundas, Chuck Men and Hall in the past in this podcast, and it's this idea that you cover a sport where the UFC president Dana White is sort of this Trump figure where he'll just sometimes spout things off. He'll say stuff, maybe not the sake for of just saying stuff, but You can't really take it at face value. So how bizarre and how difficult can it be to cover a sport where the most powerful figure is essentially a balder Trump?
1: I would actually say it's a lot less weird than it used to be. It used to be really weird um, because it used to be like trying to cover Trump inside of a campaign rally. Right. Where, uh, I mean, they weren't chanting lock her up and, you know, build that wall or something. But um there i actually find dana to be very easy to cover now i mean i won't say very easy to cover but um i i don't ever like fret about it in any capacity at all which i know the rest of the mainstream media um still covers trump in a, in a sort of a vexed way uh, obviously because you know he's different and there are different consequences and to be clear though i do believe the comparison in many ways to be a substantive and fair one um but in any case it used to be where Uh, what he said was gospel, right? I mean, he could go out there and say just about anything. And not to say that he would try to do it like Trump did exactly. I don't think that's quite true. But certainly bend the truth a little bit or stretch it or just sort of insert his opinion, which is fine, but um, mask it with, try to make every argument the argument from authority or something. And there was a time when the fan base bought all of it. All of it. All of it hook, line, and sinker. If you were trying to say that, I don't know if this is a good idea. I don't know if this is a responsible thing to say. This seems so weird. Uh, you were the one who was the problem. And this went on for years, man. Years. Years. You know, as long as the UFC had explosive growth, he had, and the rest of the UFC leadership, frankly, um, had this sort of carte blanche to say, well, we know better. Right? And And look. In a, in a certain capacity they probably did uh to trump's credit he did actually get elected right um you know they, they are able to accomplish certain things even as a detractor or a skeptic even a good even a good faith skeptic that um, you may not have been able to to uh, previously see them doing but look they did have an incredible amount of success all I'm saying is to your point, covering Dana now seems very manageable and not all that big a deal. But 2007, that was a hard slog.
0: I remember the the Dana White scrums, that, which were famous for just these 45-minute, sometimes hour-long discussions between him and the press, where he would say it seemed like countless things that there's suddenly fights that are announced that he's accidentally saying or just... Calling certain fighters out slightly for not taking fights, or you're suddenly learning about injuries, and all of that stuff was, for the most part, by a lot of websites, immediately reported as you would think it would be. Because here's the president of the company saying this, and you mentioned it it has changed because there was this what Dana says is gospel attitude from maybe not the media as much as just the fans. Anyone who saw that stuff, they're like, Oh, well, if Dana said it, it's true. But if you do see he rarely does the scrums or anything like that. But if you as uh, if you're covering an event and you hear him talking at a press conference and saying, "Oh, we're gonna make this fight or this happened or that happened, do you have to internally as a member of the media stop and be like, should I report this as fact or as Dana White said this, but maybe we should wait to see what the the camp of the fighter he mentioned said or what that fighter him or herself
1: are saying? These are typically questions that I don't have to address anymore. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm not part of the architecture in terms of the leadership at MMA fighting. In that in that sense, that would have to really sort of like wow, like figure out what the call is there. Uh, although I usually feel like. Uh, uh, Um, all the espionage sites do a pretty good job of getting that right. I mean, because it's hard to to bat a thousand with that, you know? Yeah. Oh, you trust him this time? Oh, God, we didn't get it right. Or I'm not trusting him this time that he's, you know, 100% it was the truth. It it can be very tricky about to know what to do. My my hunch would be to not believe it, um, to be intrigued by it. But to absolutely and unequivocally verify, I have seen... It, it, Ariel Hawani has reported that, you know, just the last week, set, a couple of fights were reported that had not as, as declared, and this was not from Dana himself, but I believe just from the UFC apparatus, and either through social media or something else, that were, up. Oh, this fight's announced, and then he would go and talk to the parties involved, and they'd be like, uh, we haven't signed anything. So, you know, you have to ask yourself why that's happening, and for that, there's probably a gazillion theories out there, maybe to put pressure on those guys to sign, maybe they miscommunication? Does the left hand know what the right hand is doing? Who, who, who knows? Um, so my, my response to that would be, you know, the Ronald Reagan one, right? Trust, but verify. Is it
0: weird to see that sort of tactic where, like you said, there could be billions of reasons why he's doing that or the UFC as a whole is doing that? Do you feel like you mentioned he's a little bit easier to report now, but I feel like we are seeing more of these things coming up on the website saying fights happening, but it's totally not. Are we seeing more of this push for maybe trying to use like a bargaining chip for a fighter or pushing certain fighters to get into certain matches because right now the the landscape is different more fighters have more agency to a certain extent where you're seeing people not take fights, you're seeing people wait for a bigger money fight, you're seeing people understand that this is entertainment this is business, my one shot might be here do you think there's more of a push by the UFC noticing that, saying okay well now we need to continue to find ways to nudge you in the
1: direction that we want? <sighs> It is highly possible. You know, without getting the UFC side of the story on some of these things, I'm a, I'm a little hesitant to say certainly it feels that way. I can say that with a pretty clear degree of, uh, in my opinion, I, I don't, like, look, man, I don't know what's happening. You know, my hunch yeah. is that there's probably some degree of, you know, uh, and I'm using the word in this technical definition here, coercion uh, happening arm twisting or something. And, you know, look that can work and that can not work. As you pointed out, some of these guys just are immune to it these days, which is another thing. That's absolutely crazy that, you know, used to happen, uh, all the time. They, they would, UFC would just say something and they would just do it. You know, yeah, people, people don't remember the time that Dana White threatened to cut all of AKA because they didn't want to sign away their likeness rights. So insane. I mean, you want to talk about an insane day and covering a sport. That was one. And now it's like tepid, totally tepid compared to that. um, but uh, I, I, don't, I don't really know. I mean, look, because you can look around, you can say, man, you know, we had two stretches where at welterweight and lightweight the last couple of months or so that, that there was no fights booked in the top 10 because these guys are just squatting on position and not allowing this, you know, not taking any, not to, in, in, in an irrational way, but not taking any kind of risk, not allowing themselves to be a part of a fight where they're the higher ranked guy. Um, and so there becomes this, This this, um, you know, this this permanence of position and maybe they're trying to find a ways to get around that. And I don't know if they I I don't know if that's the answer, but um, on some level, you can't blame them. On the other hand, of course, you can't do that either. Right. But one problem begets the other. If if in fact that that is what's
0: happening here. I mentioned before that, of course, you have this this radio show you do three hours a day on Sirius XM. Uh, You also do the Monday Morning Analyst, which is this look at certain, usually specific fights or specific fight that happened over the weekend and look at it a little bit deeper in terms of what happened, how did this person win, how did this person pull off a submission or a certain striking technique. Uh, You are unique to a certain extent in terms of you understand BJJ, you you train, you really try to look at these fights sometimes beyond the storyline, but the actual technical side of it. And... I don't think that should be a requirement to cover MMA, but do you think someone who covers the UFC should make some sort of effort to understand techniques from striking to groundwork? Because I I reviewed video games for the longest time, and now I'm going to go make them for a living in California. And for the longest time, when I was writing these reviews, people would say, you can't critique this effectively unless you understand what goes into making this. In your mind, is there a certain truth to that with covering MMA where you have to maybe have a general understanding of how these things work before you can judge the fighter in any capacity?
1: Not really. No, I know a lot of people want, okay, well, that can vary person to person. For me, that is true. Uh, And I think for what I try to do, that having, you know, if you think of fighting as a language, having a degree of proficiency or fluency in it is, is fairly requisite. However, do I think that somebody who, let's say, was a sports reporter at Pick a newspaper. I don't know a good one, right? New York Times. Yeah. And was a very talented reporter. If they got assigned this beat, do I think that after a bit of a growth period they couldn't do it as effectively as anybody else? I don't think that's. I don't think. I don't think they'd have any trouble at all. And I, I we want to tell ourselves these dumbass myths about <laughs> about we want we want to still. It's weird, you know. Like MMA was part of this. Like part of what makes MMA special was that it blew up all these really old martial arts traditions that um you know were kind of hokey and corny but we thought were part and parcel of the experience so either you did him anyway or some people just dove head first into him you could even see it now with what's happening in china these mma fighters who are challenging these old like wing chung masters and mm-hmm. you know and beating them brutally and that's causing some problems but at the same point he's and it's and it's partly a self-marketing tool but It is It is telling you something that you already know. And yet we hang on to these myths about fighting. I mean, look, fighting is a weird thing because I've made this point before and nobody seems to buy this argument, but I don't know why because it seems absolutely true to me. It is not a sport, right? Now, look, if you treat anything like a sport, in some ways it just becomes one anyway, Right. If you wanted to make a sport out of cooking, I don't consider cooking a sport. But if you just did that, it would somehow over time just kind of morph into it in ways so you could get the, essentially
0: Iron Chef, like yeah, uh, so If you yes, want to make it into a sport,
1: yeah, something something like that, right? You could make it a little bit more easier for you know lower level people or something, but something like that, right? Um, but fighting is something that happens naturally. It is something that happens within, um, the primates, nature, for either mating rights, territorial dominance, you name it. What we've done is taken that and removed, you know, there's a word called deracination, taking something and removing the origin of, of the, of the race involved. We're, we've sort of done that in a way where we've taken it out of that context, which is a good thing, I think um and we've put best practices around it rules regulations in many ways we've made it a better thing to be quite honest it's a violent nasty thing in the real world uh and it is that here too but in a way that we can at least monitor and control uh and and, and accept and um as a consequence we've turned it into something knowable right you can yeah. you can you can just pay somebody to go teach you all of these things um but at the same time there's this weird push and pull with it where the fighters want to say, well, unless you've done it, you just don't know. And that's true to an extent. I don't know what it's like on their level. But I can make enough rational judgments and assertions to have a reasonably informed opinion about this. Certainly about enough to report on it, depending on what your beat is, number one. Um, and yet, weirdly, the audience uh, does the reverse, where the audience feels like they already know it all. Right. <laughs> yeah. Where you know what I mean? Where they're like uh, there's a famous Onion article. It's like area man overestimates his own fighting ability by four thousand percent. So what, I think what the fighters are reacting to is that impulse where somebody doesn't understand that this is a skill. This is a best practice. And these are athletes. And we have figured out the formula, at least, you know, for this. Uh, but do I think that somebody who is capable, smart reporter who just, yeah, would some training be involved in terms of like how to do the job effectively and, you know, watching enough fights to understand what's happening? Sure. But that would be true if someone was a basketball reporter and then their editor said, go cover hockey. They can just figure it out. And I don't think it's any more complicated than that.
0: Can it be terrifying when you do put your analysis out there about a specific fighter, a specific fight, where you've gotten a lot of great reviews from fighters who are impressed with like the way you look at it, you know, notably Max Holloway, who's the featherweight champion of the world. But when you put that out there, is there a part of you that's like, man, I I hope I'm on the right track with this? Because again, you're studying it, you're putting the effort into it, you're not just flippantly saying something, but then there's also this aspect of, what if this fighter
1: just replies to me and says, like, what the fuck are you talking about? every time every time every i live in a constant state of peril you know and that's the same with a tweet too you know yeah like uh, you could even because i've had tweets where i thought they were complimentary but you can read it a certain way and then everyone loses their mind fighters are uh you understand this when you really begin to think about at first when you first encounter this you just can't make heads or tails of it you're like how is this possible but the more you begin to consider it the more it makes sense fighters are irrationally sensitive yeah. they are Iraq now in a it, I think that makes sense actually because I think it steals them I think it preserves an, an attitude that is competitive and hungry and in your face it it makes them a little bit crazy sometimes to deal with uh especially on social <laughs> media but I I try to be I and I and I mean this man and, and I hope I hope this doesn't sound condescending because I'm honest to God not I am not trying to sound that way I try to be endlessly forgiving of of that. You know, if a fight gets mad at me for something that I said, I try to think: okay, was it irresponsible or was it factually wrong? And if it's neither of those things, then I just let it go. I just let it go, like the John Jones thing, right? Oh, I don't like you. It's fine. I don't need. I don't need. I don't need any of them to like me. It's got nothing to do with it. Um, in terms of the technical analysis, um, the only thing that gives me comfort is I try to really build a strong case. I'm usually saying something praiseworthy of a fighter not not about the opponent they defeated necessarily um but i i just try to build a really strong argumentative case i try to put evidence around it i try to i try to give clear explanatory reasons and i just let it go from there what else can you do it's a world where you look you get paid to give your opinion then just have some courage in your convictions but just try to be competent and do the job the best you can and and that's all you could do man Do you think some of the sensitivity you mentioned before with fighters, and I agree from
0: everything I've seen, it it does make sense why it would come that way, but do you think some of that is irrational confidence? You talk about uh, Bill Simmons from The Ringer talks about irrational confidence confidence guys in the NBA who will just take a shot even if it doesn't make that much sense because they just think it's going to go in no matter what. When you're a fighter, you have to have this often bloated and ridiculous confidence in yourself to just keep going. So if they see... Someone online saying, oh, they should retire or they should have done this or they should have done that because they have this irrational confidence in themselves that goes against it. And that's where the sensitivity might coming in where they're they're biting back on Twitter because in their head they're like, I just need one or two more wins and I'm back in it when people are saying stop.
1: Yeah, I also think that a lot of these guys that's certainly a part of it, you know, but I think another part of it is probably that they're just not used to feedback. Right. Or, or rather not. Okay. Two things. They're not used to certain kinds of feedback and they're not used to certain kinds of feedback uh, from sources they don't already trust. So in other words, I am not here to say that I'm in any way qualified to be an MMA coach. Trust me. I'm not, but let's just, (laughs) but let's just say a coach said something along the lines of something that I said um, in a, in a, in a podcast, right? Just not that they were barring from me, but that the, you know, great minds think alike or, or whatever. So that the two ideas matched in a way if i said it they might be highly resistant to it uh if someone they trust said it even if it's very similar information they might be very much more accepting of it i think that's part of it the other part of it is that they don't you can earn your place in mma by tenure right you if they just see you around for years or you know you just build a rapport with them they begin to trust you as well and that buys you a little uh uh you know leeway i yeah. think the other i think the other one is um Look, a lot of these guys are the baddest dudes where they are. Even if they're at ATT, you know, you know, these giant gyms. These a lot of these guys are the baddest dudes everywhere they go. And to have some, you know, I would, okay, not that I, you know, to have some pimply nerd to be a, you know, to be a um, dr- dr- dramatized example of one, to be some pimply nerd who plays video games and can't do five push push-ups out there, which is what they see in their mind having this opinion about their fighting skills, it must drive them crazy, you know, because not only do they work really hard, but they know who they are, you know, it's yeah. it just, it must drive them insane. Um, we haven't gotten to this yet, but part of the reason I do video is not because if I thought I was on video, oh, I'll just show these fighters I'm just like them. No, I'm not. I don't, nor do I ever pretend to be, nor do I ever think I will be. I'm. I'm freaking close to 40 and I read books, <laughs> like it's not who I am, you know, but at the same time, here I am, right? Here I am, this is me. You can see me, you've interacted with me, you've talked to me, you've texted to me, you've emailed with me, I'm not hiding anything. You know, there's a certain kind of forward identity there where I think they also over time can respect that as well versus sort of like if you're just a byline and you've got a negative opinion, you know, you just go pound sand. It's just trying to build an identity that is built on something that they can identify with. And by that I mean trust, not, oh, that guy can go fight. I hate this pressure on journal, and I'm part, i contribute to it, I guess, in a way by trying to do this Monday morning analyst. But I cannot stand the idea that, like, to do this sport, you got to train a little bit. No, no, you don't. And we need to stop telling ourselves lies.
0: Yeah. Or like when you criticize a fighter, and suddenly people are like, "Oh, why don't you go do it?" And it's like that's not really what this is about. It's not about journalists going in and yeah. Can you imagine the, the cage?
1: Can you imagine all these Facebook Cambridge Analytica comments? Oh it's like what's well, like what well, you can't do. Well, you you. Uh, if you're if you think Cambridge Analytica is so bad for Facebook, go develop another Facebook. This would <laughs> This would sound absurd to people. It would sound absurd, but this is the kinds of things that get floated around in this in this sort of culture we have. MMA has this weird fan base where it's uh, partly a spectator sport and partly a participatory sport. and it and it pushes onto the non-fighting participants this premium to pick up fighting. When they don't need to do any of it, and it's it's really bizarre. And I think it's a lot of the
0: the, the schoolyard mentality that when suddenly we get in argument, it's always well, let's just go solve this like with fists and the actual sport is solving things with fists so there's like an additional layer of disconnect that happens there where like yeah. that's just how a lot of these arguments try to get resolved which again makes no sense when you're trying to cover this and you mentioned before like you're not you don't do them immediate to like make friends with the fighters or anything like that but you do do a three-hour radio show which just thinking about planning that makes my head spin but every day what, yeah every day and that's like at Ariel Hawani, who's you know one of my favorite members of the MMA media, does have the you know, his MMA hour where he's talking to just a bunch of people for like a five-hour stretch, and that's super impressive to me. But I think what you do is also uniquely impressive. So at what point did you feel like you had not just enough professional clout, but the the, the deep enough pool of MMA contacts to support a mostly interview-based show like what you're doing because you do have certain segments that don't require fighters or managers or coaches to come in but you're talking to people every single day and planning in advance and making sure that you have those slots filled like when did that seem like it could be a reality to you?
1: I would actually challenge that perception just a little bit if I can. Okay. Push back back just a little bit. Now, it's not to say I don't have guests because I do. I had two of them today, as a matter of fact. But that filled about 30 minutes of airtime and two segments. So that means I had uh, 10 more segments to fill. Right. So they, I mean, it's, it's not to say that they don't contribute to the show. They do. I've actually gone the other way on this. I have found that, look, man, this is the other part about like booking guests and stuff. Um, Ariel is such a unique talent in this regard, where he not only is obviously very gifted at interviewing, but I think he enjoys it more than I enjoy it. It's not to say I don't enjoy it. Let me be clear about that. I do. What I'm saying is I don't enjoy it as much, I think, as he does. And... Uh, obviously, his Rolodex is ridiculous, but you wouldn't need his Rolodex to do a show, necessarily. Um, but the point being is, he's just got this easy rapport with fighters. Now, again, not to say he hasn't had his share of difficulties, believe me. I mean, this guy has had to put in... His, been in the trenches out there. Uh, but now, I think, he's got, obviously, a great name, and he's got a great you know venue. You get a lot of attention if you go on a show, if you're a fighter, right? It makes a lot of sense. And he's earned and built all that. But... I don't – I can't do that, and I don't want to do that. I don't think I'd be very good at that, to be quite honest, right? Um, I find it hard to give candid analysis and then get phone calls returned from fighters I've known a very long time. They get mad at you for a while. I had a fighter not talk to me for two years over something you would laugh if I told you what it was. And they came back around. They all kind of do, but they get bitter at you for a while. And like I said, you know, what am I supposed to do? I got to go police the, everyone's opinion about my opinion. I can't do all that. Um, somehow he's found a way. I think to be a little bit. And probably he calls it a little bit more down the road, in the middle of the road that I do. Um, but I don't want to do that. I, I, I would actually rather do something if I had to like frame what I'm trying to do, and God knows I'm not even anywhere close. I'm a bit more of a Dan Lebitard model where mm. I don't want to be, I don't ever want to have to couch my opinion or conceal it or change it so I could get you on my show. There's almost nobody in the world that important to me maybe except my wife and I don't want her on the show either you know for <laughs> for, for, for different reasons of course yeah. I, I want to be able to say can I curse on this podcast Oh 100 percent can I, I want to say whatever the fuck I want to say <laughs> and I'm not trying to believe me man the, 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 the truth of what that means is people hear that and they just mean I'm just going to say whatever I want that's not what that means What that means is if you believe in something if you if you if you if you've thought it through, and it's important to you, well, then say it. And yeah. then if consequences happen, well, then consequences happen. Here's a big part about going back to this John Jones thing, right? Like people ask me, oh, what did you do? I, I didn't go to the principal's office. I didn't do anything except my job. And I, I you, you noticed, I never retracted anything. I don't have anything to retract. Now, I'm not here to antagonize John. He is absolutely entitled to be mad at me. I don't expect him to to, to necessarily like me. And I've talked to his management about this. Like, do you know what it is that I said? And they don't exactly have a clear sense of it other than, you know, I think uh, that they said I was just – I'm not going to use their words exactly, but, you know, sort of just uh, annoying, right? Okay, yeah. okay. Then I can, I can honestly like totally respect that. I can – I don't have any problem with it. And if it means that I can't have access to this person for a one-on-one anymore, well, then that's just what it means. But to me, I'd rather do a bigger show about big topics and big ideas. And yes, big guess when you can get them. Uh, and interesting guys. I want to do good radio. I want someone on the radio who that if you turn it on and you hear it, you're like, wow, this guy, this, this guest he has on, this guest who this professor or this guest who's this journalist or this guest who's this fighter occasionally, this guy's, or this lady is brilliant. I want to hear more from this person. That's what I'm aiming for. So if you're good on the radio and you have something interesting to say, that's more what I'm looking for. Not to say his guests don't, I'm just saying I put a bit of a premium in that direction, which means I have a lot fewer of them on, and I have a lot more discussion about bigger ideas. That That's kind of the place I'm headed.
0: And you do have an, an MMA show, so people would assume if they're tuning in, they're going to hear fighters, coaches, managers, and everything like that, but you do have a wide variety of people that go outside that that might talk about doping or other just kind of current event stuff do you feel a pressure where you don't want to have too many of those segments on since again people assume mma content from you or at this point like you said as long as it's an interesting conversation as long as it's something that people could tune in and be like that's what i want to hear it doesn't really matter if it's mma or even mma adjacent
1: yeah it's a little bit of a it's i haven't quite figured that one out yet that is a little harder i know partly you can train your audience to expect certain things then it also appears like there's just certain places they won't go with you. Um, You know, I try to cover other, like not other mainstream sports as such, but, you know, for example, if the NBA finals come around, hey, I want someone to talk about that. Um, We'll have someone preview the World Cup. We'll have somebody preview, you know, a big Star Wars movie comes out. We'll have somebody review it. You know, these sort of big items of pop culture and sports In the sports world, generally, we'll try to do that. But I've found that that can be hit or miss. That can be difficult. So that's still a work in progress. But uh, I do find that, you know, to your point, if you can get things that are close to MMA-adjacent, let's say a doping expert, right, Uh, or um, I don't know, just something along those lines, that can work really well. It's not to say that the ones that aren't MMA-adjacent can't. Some of our best segments have been things like that. Uh, Again, it's just... It's hard to know exactly what the limits are and how often you can go there and uh, what the best practices are. On on that level, I will admit, I've been in radio 10 years. But even then, I'm still a little, you know, it's a little bit like, oh, you can do, you can have a segment where you want to talk about the Premier League this week. But you're going to lose half your audience doing it, you know. And it's like, well, I thought that was something growing and interesting for Americans. And it is, just not these ones, you know. So it's it's a hard thing to figure out.
0: Yeah. And you did say that today's show for you, you had about 30 minutes or so of actual interviews and the rest of that time you're filling with different segments. How far in advance are you planning these segments? Because a lot of what you do on radio, of course, has to be somewhat current. Maybe something happens that morning. Let's say the, the Ronda Rousey stuff that was happening today, and this will go live a little bit
1: later. We led the show with that today.
0: And that's like... Again, I am not a wrestling fan. I know you definitely do the opposite of a wrestling fan, but there's there's people out there saying like, is this just a work where she now understands that's what people expect of me or that's going to bring heat or whatever the fuck wrestling terms happen with this stuff where she really just struggling that much to talk about these losses in MMA and if she'd ever go back. So are you trying to get as much as you can the night before? Okay, here's what the show is going to be. Or do you leave a lot of that morning
1: open for let's just see what happens today and we'll go from there it's sort of a rolling thing so the way it works is on sundays we usually sit out and say okay what are some let's target some guests we're going to want this week right and and some of that will change because uh, you know events change but you know, if there's fights that weekend, you're thinking, okay, I'm going to want to have a couple analysts on during the week. Uh, is there a reporter in that city? Let's say it's a fight night. Oh, is so, so Matt Erickson there from MMA Junkie. Let's see if we can get him on, right? Let's see if there's some fighters we want to get to. And again, I'm thinking about it. Well, would they be good on the air? Does my audience care? Do I care to talk to them? I, I, and look, I love the fighters. I wouldn't have a job if it wasn't for them. A lot of them are terrible on the air, right? Mm-hmm. Um now that that changes a lot as they get older. In fact, they get really good when they get older. Uh, and then you get someone like Daniel Cormier who's like god tier level radio guest, you know. He's, he's been... incredible. Like I it's oh, it's weird how like he's still underrated. Like it still feels like he's it, underrated. it is so insane that this guy is not the most popular fighter in MMA. It's booed. Abs- <laughs> like, it's food sometimes. Less less so these days, I think. Folks have yeah. finally come around, but it is absurd. I mean, we're talking about a renaissance man here. It's just absurd how talented he is. But whatever. Um, so we'll start out on a Sunday. And then uh, and then so we'll sort of begin to fill out the calendar. We have a show calendar each day. Okay, this person will go here. We have certain slots that we like. We have certain recurring segments. So today was Tuesday. 5 o'clock goes 30 minutes. Hot take Tuesday. We fill in around that. And then uh we begin to sort of ask ourselves bigger picture questions what's out there is there any audio we can grab let's say from the week before a post-fight interview with joe rogan a clip from something a fighter said post-fight dana white may have said something to uh, fs1 and we just sort of begin to build and build and build and build from there and then we do a show call 45 uh, hour and 15 no wait Hour and a half before every show, we do a show call where we begin to just fit the pieces of the puzzle together, and then I just sort of rely on my general working knowledge of radio and MMA, and we're off.
0: See, to me, this sounds like it could easily become a full-time job where this is all you do and nothing else, but that's not the case. Like I mentioned, you do the Monday Morning Analyst. You have a live chat every single week at the MMA Beat. You are you are contributing still to MMA Fighting as a senior editor i know you love this stuff and of course there's it's it's work it's still hard work but there's still the passion side to it do you have to kind of limit yourself to a certain extent and know when enough is enough because these opportunities come and i know your radio show was two hours then got moved to three hours which congratulations that's awesome Yeah, thanks. but do you have to kind of monitor your workload and understand look I love doing this, and even you. sometimes you will stream yourself out watching UFC events or do streams immediately following events on Saturday. Does your wife or just you ever say like, all right, I, I need to stop
1: for a bit? Yeah, I actually had to go to the hospital on Sunday for all this. If you can believe really? that. Yeah. Is that,
0: oh, okay. All right. I wasn't sure what kind of sickness you had.
1: Yeah, dude, I had, uh, I had headaches starting a week ago um, and cold shivers and the whole bit, and I was like, man, what is happening? And they went away, and I—I mean, the headaches kind of stayed around, and I was like, "Uh, I'm not sure what that's all about." But they were manageable, you know. Take a couple of leave, and they didn't go away, but they were fine. And then on Saturday, I got a real bad one, but it was okay in the end. I took took a bunch of Excedrin, and then on Sunday, dude, I don't know what to tell you, man. I've had, you know, I've had head trauma, and I've had, you know, hangovers that could make you want to just die. And this was (laughs) the worst headache of my life. It was so bad, I couldn't move my head side to side. I couldn't stand up. I couldn't sit down. It was. Unbearable is not even the word for it. I was writhing in agony, so I had to go to the emergency room, and they had to just, you know, put me full of drugs. And uh, I'm better. I'm better now. But the doctor was basically like, "Look, we checked your sinuses; they're a little blocked, but it's not the end of the world. Um, and you know, the rest of your health checks out. There's nothing that we could find. Um, Some additional tests might be necessary. But he was like, "Yeah, hey, you're just stressed. You're just under a lot of stress. So to your point, I'm already overexposed. I'm already doing way too much." And I need to dial it back. Now the question is how I do that. And I don't really know the answer to that. Um, but yeah, I gotta I gotta tighten the ship up a little bit because it's just and plus on beyond that, I had these home projects I was working on, you know. Oh yeah. And uh it just it just got me. It finally okay. it fi- my body was finally like, all right, we've had enough here. So
0: But can it be hard to dial it back even with those health concerns? Because you look at a major events, so like when we have like the Tony Ferguson Habib fight, which maybe is not gonna be like connor level of pay-per-view vibes or anything like that but when you do that post fight show which you're on the east coast so it's going to be 1 1 30 in the morning that's a lot of additional work for you uh but you're getting likely thousands of people watching you on youtube and that's cool like that's that's a fun thing to do to interact with those people to build this channel that's Maybe you're not like making the majority of your money from it now, but it could be if you keep building it up. Is there this kind of nagging part in the back of your head where you're like, I don't need to do this. And I've I've already done all the work I need to do all week, but there's this cool opportunity and I'm just going to keep riding this wave because
1: it's a positive wave. Yeah. So like, for example, I was going to do an, um, an Anthony Joshua fight watch party this weekend. Yeah. And now I'm like that. Nah, I'm not doing that. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just not doing that. I'm going to take a Saturday and spend it with my wife, you know? Um, it's that kind of a thing. I, I, the the post fight shows I don't mind them because that's been a real big that's been a real big hit for me. I'll just be honest. I've, I've been very very happy with how those have gone. So I'm not planning on getting rid of those anytime soon. In fact, I've built and purchased all the stuff from. I'm in my office now, uh, just so I could do that. I'll just and say selfishly, I hope you don't end those. No, I mean, no, 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 no. I'm not. Those are not going anywhere. But I'm not going to do them for extraneous things anymore. You know, like yeah. an Anthony Joshua thing until I've made some other changes in my life at other places i don't have time i i just have to live my life in a way where i I need to go have fun (laughs) i don't (laughs) and i don't don't want anyone to think oh if i'm MMA journalist like or media member because there's a big question whether i'm doing journalism anymore i don't think that i do but um but you know you can't be an mma media and have fun no 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 just understand that's just me and my dumb choices this is me and the individual way in which i have led my life It's got nothing to do with anybody else. So I don't want to dissuade somebody talented out there from getting involved. Just a personal cross to bear. That's it. Can it be weird having people care about your
0: personal life as much as they do now? Because I'm not saying you're this major celebrity or anything like that but people know of your dog people know that you like I, I we got on this call and you have no idea who the hell i am but i i know live in dc i've left multiple comments on your live chats i've watched all your stuff i know a lot about you even it, it's, it's a one-way street in this way and this The internet's weird now where that happens. There's these personality based either websites or just YouTube channels where you have this understanding of this person who it feels like maybe not a friend, but it feels like you know that person. And if they were to say they were sick or anything like that, you're concerned about them, which again, one way street. Is that been an adjustment period for you to kind of understand that people
1: care about Luke Thomas, who you have no idea who they are? Uh. No, it's not weird at all. In fact, it's, I mean, it's, um, how do I say this exactly? I got involved in video overwriting in part to get exactly that. Now, not adulation from the masses. I didn't know that that would happen, but I thought that I could more directly build an audience um, that would be, you know, hey, if he puts out content, I'll get it kind of a thing uh, with video. Uh, even if you're a talented writer, I would say that that's probably true. Now, I'm not, I, I, I had a moment there where I was writing a lot and, you know, my writing got better, but um, it, it, I don't know that I was ever like killing the game with it necessarily. But the point being is, um, if people can see you, you know, I mean, I mean this, if people can see you, and they can hear you too, that that's partly it, but if they can see you, wow, that is like, you are, you can have such an intimate connection with them. Um, it is I think way stronger than what you can build with writing because when you build something with writing, you know part of the appeal is not just that person but it is that thing that they left in the world you know the, the this the collection of essays or this one yeah. particular article and it's this element that they leave for you to consume almost as a distraction from themselves and uh it, that's true even if you're really good now if you're really really good, that can then turn around and be something more where you can you know Again, you can have this um, identity where people follow it, but you have to be a very, very, very high level writer for that to happen. Anyway, long story short here is um, video is how you build connections to people, I believe. People you don't know, anyway. Uh, it is so powerful. It is so powerful. And at first, people were like, hey, you know, st- I started, I remember the first time I started getting donations, I didn't even ask for them. Yeah. People were like, I would love to send you some money, and I got it. And you look at it, and I remember the first one I got, it was like $250. And I'm thinking to myself, some random person, like if a random person came up to you on the street and was like, "Hey, man, love your work," and you just worked in an office somewhere, and they handed you $250, you'd <laughs> be like, "This is the greatest day of my life." My boss doesn't even talk to me this way, you know. This yeah. is a, this is amazing. You'd um, be like, "Wow, what the hell?" And that becomes routine. Not the donations necessarily, but that kind of that kind of relationship where uh, if you can if you can de- if you can develop an audience and if you can develop content and you can develop with regularity. And you, know, you get a little lucky because that's always part of it. Let me be very clear about that. I know people include that as like a oh, shucks thing. No, it's real. Yeah. You have to get lucky. I don't know how else to tell you. Uh, then you can do something with it. Now, what that is, it depends on the person and whatever else. But I, I fundamentally believe you want to build connections to people, get on camera.
0: It's shocking how true that is when you look at something like again I've worked in video games for a while but even the world of Twitch still perplexes me to a certain extent where you look at something like that stream with Drake the other day where that guy Ninja is getting I think it was like 600,000 concurrent viewers on the stream where it's absurd it, it, he is making 500,000 a month off Twitch and it's the connection between sure gameplay but I think you're right it's personality it's face it's making a connection with that people where they're throwing donations at him daily like if 500,000 from just making a connection with people and yeah i think you're right with luck where when you get early on that that twitch train where suddenly you're there at the right time early enough when a whole bunch of people are getting into it and they're looking for people for specific people when you're there and yeah you could say hard work got him there it, like 50% but it is like 50% luck it is insane how much that connection has changed and just that the relationship between for the longest time i would read a website and not really consider the author i would just look at the name of the top again like new york times washington post you don't really think about the author but now with video stuff you're almost exclusively thinking about the person communicating with you it's mm-hmm. that individual instead of an actual brand that you're communicating with in that way as i said before the majority of my listeners are people who are into games and maybe have like a partial understanding of mma but not like, not as much as games so for those who don't really know what do you think is the most pressing crazy or even uncommon sports issue that fighters are facing today that most people don't know about, because I think people still don't know about the ridiculously low pay in a lot of cases, the, the payment structure with the win bonus, the if a fight gets canceled, sometimes fighters just don't get any pay off of that. The Reebok deal. Is this something that stands out to you that you think the average maybe sports fan or just non MMA fan has no idea about?
1: Probably the unionization. Mm -hmm. Because I've had this uh, experience talking to other sports reporters. And they're always like, so wait, I don't understand. How can that just happen? What what did the players' union say? And I'd be like, right, well, here's how that goes. (laughs) There isn't one. And you cannot begin to imagine how many problems that affects that affects the anti-doping side of things where you know you got cynthia I never everyone says i'm pronouncing her name wrong but i'm not uh calvillo <laughs> Kel, by the way i asked her about that did i ever tell you that yeah i'm right i heard that yeah yeah she was like yep no problem i was like right right that's exactly yeah that's correct. a fist pump moment that's yes. like thank fuck you all you people you got uh, it yeah D- don't 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 lecture me about that trust well, your me wife's anyway colombian right so you yeah. like you no pronunciation of like for things that a lot of people don't I know, Well, it's all, Basically, the argument comes down to, have you ever heard a Spanish speaker correct another Spanish speaker in pronouncing the double L that way? And the answer is never. Never. <laughs> it's literally never happened. It just so happens that when I do it, people get put on megatilt. But in any yep. case, ne- neither here nor there. Uh, the unionization thing. Because it touches so many things. As I mentioned, Cynthia Calvillo with the, with the marijuana, right? Uh, and this sort of absurd amount of punishment that they have to go through. Part of that would be inevitable because it's commission-based in certain cases. But that they would have some, at least some say over what happened with, uh, like the like the NBA Players Association has a big, big hand in forming their anti-doping policy. And they don't have any scandals. You, know, you can draw whatever conclusion you want from that. But I don't think the two are unrelated. So there's one. Two, I would say it affects pay. And there's a big question about how much it would affect pay. Would it affect pay for the high earners, for the low income earners? I want to tease this a little bit. I sat down with a statistician today. Um, and I've got a big podcast coming out on my YouTube channel where I have, and I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say this now, and you're going to see, mark my words on this podcast. I have, I think, the best examination of fighter pay that's ever been done in MMA. Um, right. And that's going to be coming out on YouTube, so you can see that there. Uh, he'll, and that statistician will be on it. We'll put out all the notes and all the data and everything. In any case... So, it, does it affect high income, high earners, low earners? Does it affect, um, um, uh, in other words, if they, even, even if it, even if you didn't know how it would affect anyone, just getting the television money, which the union would help with, would dramatically increase pay overall for all earners, right? It would have an, a, a substantive change in the lives of fighters, uh, and you can go on from there, depending on sponsorships or a, a, any number of different fault lines. That currently exists between fighters and management. And the crazy part is the fighters, at least for now, uh, Leslie Smith at Project Spearhead, notwithstanding, which is a, a UFC fighter in this group she's trying to get going to unionize, they appear incapable of getting out of their own way. They don't want to do shit about it. Yeah. And I've made this point on the last uh, podcast I did for on MMAfighting.com. It was like they keep thinking that the cavalry is coming to save them. Nope. There is no cavalry. They are not coming to save you. You are alone or you can work together. But that is it. So to me, it's this bizarre situation where they have no protection, totally unlike the rest of their sporting peers. It would have it would have an, a borderline overnight, I mean, revolution in terms of how it would change their lives once they got a CBA going. Uh, and they don't want to get there, at least not for now. So we'll see how that goes.
0: It's stunning that fighters don't get a portion of the TV money deal. And I think for NBA players, it's almost a, it might actually be a 50-50 split in terms of who gets that money. And the fact that I know this, the Fox deal is about to run out for the UFC and it seems like interest might not be as rampant as they'd first hoped, but the fact that right now that's not on the table and that all of that is going to the UFC is just so crazy to me. And like I, I that does seem like something that, People just have no idea. When they hear that, they're like, that's that can't be true, right? Like, no, and that's that's the case. And there's a lot of these fighters who are getting into this and are way on the undercard who are getting 10 and 10. So that's 10 to show, 10 to win. And before it was 8 and 8. Like, it just recently got bumped up. And with taxes, because they're contractors, so it's way higher tax rate with camp, with travel, with everything like that. People are, there's definitely been cases where people are traveling to Brazil, losing money and getting knocked out and coming home in the hole financially and like that's the kind of stuff that this yeah it, but it's such an insane but, structure
1: but, but at this point you could say the media should shine light on it the media has been shining light on it for years oh absolutely you know uh, every other player manager should do something about it well managers it just looks like they're not gonna right so at some point you can say oh my god it's so unfair for the fighters to not get this money and I would agree but I'm sorry it's their fault at this point because yeah. I can't do anything for them you know, I can't. And asking for a corporate... I mean, the UFC's put their cards on the table. You know what they're going to do, right? That's just what it is right now. So whose fault is it that they're not getting paid more? To just say and blame the UFC, okay, we've done that game, right? We know what they're up to. Now what? Now whose fault is it? To me, it's like, I don't want to blame... You know, if yes, the UFC could always pay more, and that's the problem. But union ex- unions exist for a reason, because if you don't have them in certain sporting situations... People don't get paid what they're supposed to, which is exactly what we have here, which is exactly why you need one of them. And the fact that they don't, it's like, I, I, of course, I have sympathy for them. But on some level, if you're asking me whose fault it is at this point, if they're the only ones who can fix it, I don't know what else to say. In terms of the fighters not doing it, do you think a
0: lot of it is the lower tier people being worried that if they speak up, the UFC could cut them and replace them at any moment? And then the higher tier knowing they have this very short window to make the money they're making and they're comfortable and they're making a lot of money and they're just not worried about the people beneath them because it isn't a team sport. It's individual. So for them, is it just the the power dynamic there that's preventing this from happening? I know you guys have talked about this on the MMA Beat and all over the place, but is
1: that kind of where your head's at now with it? Mm, less so. I mean, you got Cajun Johnson out there saying all that stuff and they don't haven't cut him. Leslie Smith, they haven't cut him. Uh, it used to be the case, like the in the days. Remember John? I think it was John or Josh. I can't remember. But John Cholish, remember him? Yeah. yeah. The energy day trader who was the real bright guy on Wall Street, and he spoke out against it. I think after retiring, and you know he kind of got lambasted a little bit. And the UFC used to be real angry about it when you know Josh wrote Josh Gross did that ESPN report, and now they've just kind of realized. And how could you blame them? Um, the fighters there there is malaise, and they are pushing back. But not enough to really challenge much, you know. So it's like the, if you're, you're the UFC, you're at, you're saying, okay, well that that wasn't great for us, but if that's all there is, we're fine, you know. I mean, we'll we'll be all right. This is what I mean, man. It's like you know you, to say that the the victims of this are the only are the responsible party. It's not exactly what I'm saying, right? So it's not their fault in that in that way, but. So I, I just don't know how else to put it. Like, you're, if you're the only ones who can do something about this and you won't do it, <laughs> yeah, then, then it's just going to be what it's going to be. Uh, and that's awful, but that is what it will be. That is what it will be. And why
0: would the UFC change what they're doing if the fighters aren't forcing them to change what they're doing if this is working and they're getting away with it? maybe getting away with it is a little bit of a harsh way to put it but why would they change uh last thing and again i appreciate the time i know you're busy um the last year maybe year and a half of mma for the ufc not the biggest blockbuster fights of course there was the mayweather mcgregor boxing match which not mma uh the the year before that crazy fights up and down all year for 2018 we still have you know i'll quite a bit left three-fourths of it left and there's a lot of great fights on the horizon for right now if you were looking at the calendar for fights that are confirmed if there were like two or three fights you could pick out right now that you would pay $60 just to watch that one fight you don't
1: even need the rest of the card which fights stand out for you Connor versus the winner of Nurmagomedov versus Ferguson Mm, Yep, that's a big one uh Jones DC3 either DC or Jones versus Lesnar trying to think on the women's side, is there anything that really I fires that's, me? That, that's a tougher one because... Uh, 60, I don't know, but as a nice co-main, I would take um, uh, Yen Jacek versus uh, Shevchenko. Oh, yeah. But I think, Shevchen- I think Shevchenko would have her way with her, but... At I mean, 125, right? At, at 125, really right. Meet there. Well, apparently in Muay Thai, Shevchenko always got the better of her. Uh, so I don't know exactly what would change in this particular context, but neither here nor there. Um but still, it'd be it'd be interesting to see. And let me think, let me think, let me think. Those are the big ones that stand out. The ones that I would, re- I mean, because the the thing is, if I'm going to pay money for it, I want the big stars. But that yep. doesn't necessarily make it the best fight, which is a hard thing to understand for some people. But um, but yeah, if I'm going to pay money, it would be something like that. I have no interest in the whole Mayweather to MMA thing. It's like, it's so it's so stupid. It's it's so it's so irredeemably stupid. <laughs> but but. seven out of
0: ten for that wrestling
1: but you know people like what they like you can't talk them out of it they want to see it so it's whatever if it happens it happens and for you just
0: personally money aside is the uh, Habib versus Tony the not the epitome of modern MMA but about as close as you can get is that one of those just you're almost giddy at this point for that thing to actually happen if it actually happens yeah I mean
1: injury knock on wood here I'm actually gonna knock on wood yeah I'll do it too um yeah, so I was making this point earlier to somebody. I, I, I cannot guarantee if you're – here's what I would say if you're listening and you're a casual fan out there or maybe you're somebody who, you know, I'll watch MMA time to time if it's a big fight. Let me let me give you a piece of advice. Do not miss this one. Okay. Uh, I tell this to all my casual friends. I'm like, what's the next big fight? Is it the next Conor fight? Well, yeah, sure, don't miss that one either. Do not miss this one. This is ba- – here's my ba- my point. This is basically as good as MMA gets. Now, I don't know exactly how the fight's going to go, MMA is full of surprises. It could be dull. I find that highly unlikely. But I'm telling you, I don't actually know. You you always want to be careful. And I'm not presenting this fight as the thing that's going to sell MMA uh, pay-per-view buys like never before. Uh, I think it'll do quite well, but, you know, not, not anything like a blockbuster. And... And that might confuse you. You're like, well, you're telling me it may not be that good of a fight or that have many stars. Right. Here's what I can tell you. You're talking about the best division in all of the sport. You're talking about two guys who are about to meet for the fourth time, but they've never fought before. Because the first three times there was this drama or injury or a weight cut failure at the last minute. And it got scuttled. And the UFC, usually in those circumstances, has a choice to say, well, we're just done with this matchup. And they go on about their way. They literally can't resolve the upper echelon contendership queue without this fight happening. It's not possible. They are destined to meet. And you're talking about a guy in Habib Nurmagomedov, a buzzsaw, almost throwback to an old school war horse guy where he's not very well-rounded but has this incredible eats-nails-for-breakfast dagestani background where he can wrestle his ass off and then they got this other guy tony ferguson who's weird and hard to nail down but is very well-rounded iron chin can go the distance a totally unique game built on a totally unique identity and they are on a collision course for each other and then conor mcgregor it doesn't come much better than that that's basically as good as it gets and so i highly recommend watching God, I hope that actually happens. Like, you're <laughs> right. It does feel like destiny at this point that
0: that shit happens. But, like, man, every time, even if it's the, the day before. Like I'm just I'm going to be crossing my fingers I, I do have time. a good feeling about it though I, I do too but it. now that you said that out loud now you've just like, tempted the MMA God so God I hope so I really hope that fight happens uh, Luke you mentioned a little bit of it before but uh, what are you working on right now whether it be MMA fighting YouTube your radio show that you want to promote and talk about and where can people find you on social media
1: just find me on YouTube YouTube.com slash Luke Thomas I've got the URL there which is a nice little nifty thing to have uh, and what am I working on well I'll be in New York next week for the pre-fight Festivities related to uh, that nurmagomedov ferguson fight. So that should be kind of fun. I'll, I'll have some content there from the road. Um, a lot of my Serious XM stuff ends up there anyway. So you can check out, if you've never seen my show and you, you want a free sample, you can check out some stuff there. And as I mentioned, I sat down with a statistician who's an MMA fan, who, in my judgment, has run the most comprehensive analysis. And by the way, it's not finished. Like, there's, you can always update, you know, uh, these kinds of things. But up to this point, Uh, has done, in my judgment, the most comprehensive analysis of MMA fighter pay, what we can say about it, what it shows, what it means. Um, Are women underpaid or are they not? Are there things we can learn about pay structure uh, based on divisions or weight class or tenure or any other number of things? And that should be coming out very, very soon as well. All right, perfect. Thanks again so much, Luke, for giving me the time. I really do appreciate it.
0: I've been leaving comments on your live chats ever since just about the start. I really appreciate what you do i think you have a unique take on mma and as someone who really appreciates the sport you're the person it's like you and ariel who i go to right away with this kind of stuff so hopefully you feel better after not feeling great lately hopefully you get a (laughs) chance to just have some fun and kick back and not think about work for a bit and uh yeah i can't wait to continue to listen to your radio show and see your analysis on some upcoming ufc events
1: thank you buddy i really appreciate that
0: all right perfect thanks again everyone for listening hopefully tune back in for the next episode of the 1099